Okay, well, it'll be a blessing to you all, and welcome back to my slightly blustery open-air pulpit. As I said last time, I want to continue to discuss Israel, if I may. I think it's fair to say that for those of us which are born again, we are more than entitled to speak about such a subject. In fact, outside of those of us which are born again, no one else really has Israel's best interests at heart. The Catholic Church couldn't care less about the uh, nation of Israel. Islam certainly uh, doesn't think much about Israel. But for those of us which are born again, we are very much interested when it comes to the things of Israel. And therefore, what I want to do today, if I may, and maybe over the next few weeks, is discuss further about the subject concerning Israel. Outside of Almighty God, outside of Jesus Christ, outside of the devil, outside of the Antichrist, Israel is the most mentioned theme, the most mentioned people in the entire Bible. And therefore, it's somewhat unusual if you come into contact with uh, so-called Christians that never speak about Israel. So for today, if I may, and I will do my best to get through the next little while, Whenever I come up here, I'm always thinking to myself, how's it going to go? <laughs> is it going to be easy to work in? It is always windier when you get to uh, my open-air pulpit because I am higher up. But as always, by the good grace of the Lord, if I start something, I will always attempt to conclude what I begin. Hosea, Hosea chapter 3 is a good place to start for today's uh, study. And in Hosea chapter 3, we, we read the following from verse 4. For the children of Israel shall abide many days without a king, and without a prince, and without a sacrifice, and without an image, and without an ephod, and without teraphim. Afterward shall the children of Israel return, and seek the Lord their God, and David their king, and shall fear the Lord and his goodness, in the latter days. Now you would have thought, surely, that with two Gentiles over maybe a thousand years destroying two temples, that the Jews would have thought to themselves, something isn't right. We have sinned against Jehovah. We need to go back to basics. We need to start all over again. Something isn't right. But the Word of God says how the heart of man is desperately wicked. It is wicked through and through, and that's why until you are born again, you really have no idea just what is going on. And therefore, for the Jews, they got used to being dispersed. They got used to being uh, put into captivity. But the scripture told us from Hosea, 700 BC, that the children of Israel, and I mean just that, the children of Israel, not the church, shall abide many days. Now, of course, days means years. And if you get that down from also Daniel, chapter 9, you will understand that the 70th week of Daniel is still to occur. Not a literal week. Again, days, weeks, refer to years. For the children of Israel shall abide many days without a king. They've had no king for 2,000 years. And without a prince, not even a prince, and without a sacrifice, now, there are Jews in parts of the world 
which unofficially sacrifice animals, but officially they haven't been able to sacrifice for 2,000 years. And again, you would have thought, surely, that they would have asked themselves, what is going on? If I was a Jew, I would ask myself, what is going on? Where is Jehovah? Why are we dispersed? Why have we lost two temples at the hands of two Gentile kings? No king, no prince, no sacrifice, and without an image, and without an ephod, no priesthood, and without teraphim. Afterward, should the children of Israel return and seek the Lord their God, and David their king, and shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. You've got two things. You've got number one, Israel's dispersion. Like I say, not once but twice. You've got the wandering Jew. You've got the church age as well, which wasn't revealed explicitly to the prophets. When Christ came the first time, he called Israel to believe on him, to receive him. And they said, no, thank you. We have no king but Caesar. They chose Caesar, they, uh, they chose Caesar over Christ. And people say, well, where do we come into this? Well, we are the church. We are the body of Christ. We get grafted in. We temporarily replace Israel. But afterward, like at the end of the church age, shall the children of Israel return. 1948. Back they go into Israel and seek the Lord their God. Yes and no, most of the Jews that went back into Israel in 1948 were secular. Most of the Jewish leaders, like I said last time, were Marxist, atheist. And yet, in spite of all that, they are beloved. And in spite of all that, that's where the Lord wants them to go. And people say, well, how about the Illuminati? How about the uh, Protocols of Zion? How about this? How about that? Well... Let me say this if I may. First of all, the uh, Protocol of the Elders of Zion was probably written by the Catholic Church, and it has been suggested that the Jesuits wrote that to smear the Jews. But even, even if such is incorrect, even if the Jews wrote it, it makes no difference. Because the Jews are beloved for their father's sakes. And people say, well, how about their rejection of the Messiah? It makes no difference. The Jews are beloved for their father's sakes. And people say, how about Hollywood? It's controlled by Jewish men and women, script writers. They blaspheme Almighty God. It makes no difference. They are beloved for their father's sakes. We have to rise above it. For those of us which are saved, for those of us which are premillennial, we must rise above it. When you come across people who say they are Christian, and then turn around and badmouth the Jews, make racial remarks. Maybe such people are not saved, or maybe they are backslidden. But the greatest man that ever lived, the greatest Christian that ever crisscrossed the world, the Apostle Paul, would tell you from the Book of Romans how they are beloved for their father's sakes, and how when it pleases the Lord, he will turn back to Israel and bring them unto himself. Afterward, at the end of the church age, once the rapture's been and gone, shall the children of Israel return? They go back into the land. 1948, which technically is still uh, during the church age, but like all parts of scripture, there are 
more than one occasion, or there is more than one application, I should say, to such a scripture. And seek the Lord their God. Some in Israel, from 1948 to the present, have sought the Lord their God, and some Jews in Israel today are saved. Comma, and David their king, Messiah, and shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. So you've got a promise and a prediction. The prediction is that the children of Israel will wander for centuries, no temple, no king, no prince, no sacrifice, no nothing, because they would reject their prophets and their kings and ultimately their Messiah. And yet, in spite of all that, Almighty God continued to love them. He continued to reach out to them. And whenever a Jew would turn to Jehovah, they were saved. Go to Joel. Joel chapter 3. Now for February, I should just say for any weather watcher out there, it can be very cold when it comes to uh, doing open air work such as this. And for me, as long as it's not too windy, and as long as it's not too uh, wet, I can normally get a video done. So, let's see how this goes from Joel chapter 3. Joel chapter 3, look at verse 1, please. For behold, in those days and in that time when I shall bring again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem, I will also gather all nations and I'll bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat and will plead with them there for my people and for my heritage Israel whom they have scattered among the nations and parted my land. Every nation in the world, as of now, on the one hand, pretends to be friendly with Israel, and yet, on the other hand, is very hostile towards Israel. The Jews are probably the most hated people in the world, and that's why those of us which are saved are, again, their best friends, are their biggest offenders, and because of such, we are able to speak on matters such as this. But at the same time, the Jews have a slight quandary. The Jews, for the most part, are too close to the nations. The Jews were told to be separate from the nations. The Jews were told to rely on Jehovah. But you see, the Jews went back to the land of Israel in 1948, in unbelief for the most part, secular for the most part, agnostic for the most part, and yet they went back because the scripture said they would go back. And they've been back in the land since 1948. On top of that, Israel has been attacked three times by the Gentile nations. 1948, barely weeks, months after going back into the land, the Gentiles attacked. And I'm referring to the Muslims. And on paper, Israel should have lost. On paper, if you were to look at Israel's army around that time and the weapons that they were using around that time compared to the Muslim nations that were very well armed, Israel should have fallen. They were using weapons from the First World War. And I guess it's fair to say on top of that, if it hadn't been for Wingate, a British Christian from the Brethren uh, background, from the Brethren denomination, or from the Brethren... Uh, denomination, 
who was able to train most of their leaders, they would have fallen. But of course, Jehovah wouldn't put them back in the land to see them fall. So the first time they are attacked, after centuries not being officially in the land, they stand up to the aggressor and they win. 1967, it happens again. The Gentiles launch an attack on Israel, referred to as the Six-Day War. But this time they were a bit more prepared. They had 20 years to prepare for such an attack. And on paper, you've got 250 million Muslims surrounding a nation the size of Wales, which I think at last count is around uh, 6 million strong. On paper, Israel should have folded, should have just collapsed, folded like a pack of paper or like a pack of cards. But again, due to Jehovah, due to his promise in Scripture, they withstood the Gentiles. The third time such a thing would happen would be in 1975. Egypt, Iraq, Iran, and some other countries, Syria too, thought they could have a crack at Israel. And they thought to themselves, maybe third time lucky. And these Islamic countries, using uh, Soviet weapons, started to invade uh, parts of Israel. And praise the Lord, again, the Jews pushed them back. They're not going anywhere. And that hatred, that contempt for Israel has never, has never gone away. If you go back to the first Gulf War, back in uh, 1990, 1991, Saddam Hussein, a Sunni Muslim, thought to himself that if he was able to bring Israel into the war, it would break the alliance. And one of the uh, things that the Allies had to do was to stop Saddam doing that. And what he tried to do were fire Scud missiles from parts of Iraq into parts of Israel. And due to the British SAS and the American uh, Delta Force and other special forces, they were able to take out a lot of those Scud missiles. Because he knew that if Israel came into the war, other Islamic countries would also come into the war and fight with Saddam. And it would cause problems for the Allies. Every Muslim, in the Middle East especially, has one thing in common. They may be divided over the Shiite and Sunni issues, but if there's one thing that they all have in common is their hatred for the Jews, the hatred for Israel. And that's why it's terrible when you come across Christians or professing Christians who take it upon themselves to stand against Israel. And that's why I mentioned last time that if the Americans moved their embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, how the Catholic Church will no doubt make the most of it. And I guess I am somewhat suspicious. People say, well, the Americans are trying to do a favour for Israel. Well, if that's the case, ask yourself this. I'll get back to this in a moment. Every Israeli government, going back to 1948 and 1967 after the Six-Day War, and 1975 after the Third War, after the third attack on them, has stayed put in Tel Aviv. Now, Jerusalem, of course, is the eternal city. Jerusalem, of course, will be the place where the Messiah is going to return to. Not one Israeli government, going back to its conception in 1948, has decided to put their embassy back in Jerusalem, make it their capital. It could be down to a UN deal, but that goes back to what I just said a few moments ago, that the, the, the Jews are too close 
to Israel. Sorry, the Jews are too close to the UN, I should say. Just correct myself. The Jews are too close to the nations. And the nations are perhaps too close to Israel as well. You see, Israel depends very much on America for military might, which in of itself isn't a problem because the Islamic countries were supplied by Russia for decades. But it's down to saved men and women in America praying for Israel. It's down to saved people in Britain praying for Israel. And I think because of those people that are praying for Israel, Israel has been able to continue on to the level that she's been able to continue on and the uh, level she's been able to reach. But the point is this, she needs to turn back to Jehovah. You see, at the moment, Israel officially is in unbelief. At the moment, for those of us which are saved, we are the people of God. And that's not replacement theology either. Replacement theology teaches that the church has permanently replaced Israel, which is a heresy. But for the church age, we, the people of God, have replaced Israel. For behold, in those days and in that time, tribulation, when I, Jehovah, shall bring again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem. I will also gather all nations, never mind uh, 1948 or 1967 or 1975, this will be on a much grander scale, and will bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat. Jehovah, Yahweh, his... Uh, place which we marked out leading into Armageddon and Megiddo and will plead with them there for my people and for my heritage Israel whom they the nations have scattered among the nations and parted my land people say let's carve up the land let's send a special envoy to the Middle East like Mr Blair and let's see if Mr. Blair can sort out the Israeli problem. And he was sent to uh, Israel back in 2008. He left office in 2007, became a Catholic soon afterwards. And he, at that time, was Mr. Fixit, the new Kissinger, or so we were told. And he was commissioned by George Bush Jr. to go to the Middle East to fix up the problem, to bring peace to the land. And I thought to myself then, he's got no chance. But the problem is, he doesn't know his Bible. Bush doesn't know his Bible. Trump doesn't know his Bible. They are messing with sacred land. Not necessarily concerning Israel per se, or the Jews per se, but concerning Jehovah. That's the only reason that Israel has been spared time after time, for the sake of Jehovah, for Jehovah's name and also for the forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Look at verse 3. And they have cast lots for my people, and have given a boy for an harlot, and sold a girl for wine, that they may drink. The inference here would be that during the tribulation, those that refused to take the mark of the beast primarily Jews that get saved, that keep the commandments of God, are going to perhaps be at least detained and, um, and perhaps sold for slavery. And therefore, one of the reasons why the Lord is going to gather all of the nations is 
because of his people being put into bondage, into slavery. Look at verse 9. Proclaim ye this among the Gentiles. Prepare war. Wake up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your, prune, and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am strong. You've got Jehovah, almost gold in the nations. Come on then. Let's have a, a battle. Let's have some kind of an altercation. The word of God says that God is a man of war. He's going to gather all of the nations. And I mentioned this last Sunday from Revelation chapter 16 concerning the kings of the east marching towards Jerusalem. They're going to come from places such as China, Russia, and maybe Japan. Proclaim ye this among the Gentiles. Prepare war. Wake up the mighty men, all of your top generals. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. Now, World War I was a pretty big deal. World War II was a pretty big deal. At the end of the First World War, Germany was on her knees. And that's one of the reasons why Hitler was able to get so much support, because the Germans were bankrupt. And on top of that, they weren't happy to be in bondage to the Allies. And by 19, let's see now, 1938, 1939, Germany had around 4 million men. And it's also worth reminding ourselves that part of the deal that was made after the uh, First World War was that Germany wasn't allowed to have an, uh, an army, a huge army. On top of that, she wasn't allowed to have an air force or navy. So what she did was do a deal with Russia. And the Russian Air Force not only supplied the Germans with planes, but they trained the German Air Force. That's not necessarily, or that's not widely known amongst historians. But thanks to Uncle Joe, another anti-Semite, he was able to work very closely with Hitler, another anti-Semite, of course, to build up the Third Reich. Around that time, Britain was... Uh, downgrading her military might, whereas Germany was building it up. And that's why it took Britain probably two to three years to catch up with the Germans. And by 1944, 1945, Britain was very much on par with Germany when it came to the Air Force, the Navy, and the Army. But those wars, as big as they were, as uh, dire as they became, will be nothing compared to the tribulation. And here the Lord is goading them. He's baiting them. He is, uh, as we would say, winding them up. He's wanting a response. Assemble yourselves and come, all ye heathen. If you're not a Jew, according to the word of God, you are a Gentile. But if you're born again, you are in the body of Christ. So when we speak about the Gentile nations, 1948 going into Israel, or 1967, or 1974, 75, we are speaking about Muslims, because Muslims are Gentiles. They are children of Abraham, they are, yes, they are children of Abraham, but they are sons of Ishmael. But they are still Gentiles. They're not part of the covenants 
going back to the Old Testament. The covenant was made with Isaac, and from Isaac would come the Messiah. Ishmael has no part to play in any of this. Gather yourselves together round about. Let the cause thy mighty ones to come down, O Lord. Let the heathen be wakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there will I sit to judge the heathen round about. Back in the 19th century, when Britain would go overseas to fight her wars, like with Napoleon or other dictators, the military elite would find a spot like this, somewhere high up, get their maps out, and start to plane. And they would give orders to their generals on the ground, at a much lower level, how to go forward, how to take on the enemy. And those generals, some of which had never seen service a day in their life, would be overseeing such a battle. And here the Lord is taking the place, or he is offering himself as a general to some extent, and he wants to see all of the nations gather themselves together to march against Israel. Now, of course, we know this is a suicide mission. They can't possibly win. But because they are full of hatred towards Jehovah and the Jews, they're going to march to their deaths. Go to verse 16. The Lord also shall roar out of Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem, and the heavens and the earth shall shake. But the Lord will be the hope of his people and the strength of the children of Israel. Christ is referred to as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He came the first time as a lamb, kept his mouth shut, and he was slaughtered for the sins of the world. He comes a second time as a lion, and he's going to roar. The Lord Jehovah also shall roar out of Zion, also in reference to Jesus Christ, a great verse for his deity, and utter his voice from Jerusalem, and I mean Jerusalem, and the heavens and the earth shall shake. But the Lord will be the hope of his people and the strength of the children of Israel. If you keep your eyes on the scripture, if you read the scriptures regularly, if you take the time to examine verses in light of verses, you can't help but see that Israel is beloved for their father's sakes. Yes, they would reject their Messiah and pay the price for that. And yet, as I keep on saying, and I will continue to throughout this message and future messages, they are beloved nevertheless. Like a parent loves their child, Almighty God loves his children, historically being Israel. But for today, doctrinally, the church. 17. So shall you know that I am the Lord your God, dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. Then shall Jerusalem be holy, and there shall be no strangers pass through her any more. At the moment, Jerusalem is very much a divided city. Officially, uh, Jerusalem is, is governed by Israel. It's governed by uh, the government in Tel Aviv. You've got Muslims living in Jerusalem. You've got Jews living in Jerusalem. You've got Catholics, Anglicans, and probably some Christians 
living in Jerusalem. And by and large, it's not a bad place to live. By and large, if you are a person of faith, you can live in Jerusalem. You can get by in Jerusalem. But that city, Jerusalem, is a holy place referred to as the eternal city. And therefore, if you look back over history, like when General Allenby would arrive in Israel at the, let's see now, the uh, turn of the 20th century, he got off his horse and walked because he knew that he was on holy ground. Now again, we know that the Jews put them aside to death outside of Jerusalem, and we know that the early church were mainly Jewish men who suffered persecution and rejection by the Jews, but that was foretold back in the Old Testament. So when you come into contact with people that like to batter Jews, or if you take the time to look at Mein Kampf, books like that, or even Das Kapital to some extent, you see a lot of ignorance, and you see people that are using the Jews' uh, unbelief and the Jews' hostility towards Jesus and the early church as an excuse to attack them. But of course, the devil is very much behind that. Verse 20, but Judah shall dwell together, excuse me, but Judah shall dwell forever, and Jerusalem from generation to generation. Judah and Jerusalem, technically today, as tribes, are probably dispersed. And no, I don't think Britain is one of the tribes. And no, I don't think America is one of the tribes. Yes, you may have Jews living in Britain and America, of course, and every other country around the world, but the, the, uh, the tribes per se, I don't know if I could say are necessarily in Britain or America. Now the wind is picking up. The Lord knows where his tribes are today, okay? He knows that. And again, go back to what I said a few moments ago. After two temples being destroyed by two Gentile leaders, the Jews were dispersed, and in 70 AD, when Titus uh, destroyed their second temple, they lost all of their records. So that's why the Jews don't know themselves which tribe they are from, or where the other tribes are today. But somewhere in the world today, the 12 tribes of Israel are very much alive and kicking. And at a time of the Lord's choosing, he will gather them all. And from Revelation, he will pick himself 144,000. Turn to uh, Zephaniah. Zephaniah, please. And again, chapter 3, a lot of chapter 3s today. From uh, uh, Zephaniah... Uh, chapter 3. Let's make sure I've got the right uh, scripture here. I'm pretty sure it's Zephaniah. Yeah, Zephaniah. Uh, Zephaniah chapter 3. Look at 
verse 16, please. In that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear thou not, and to Zion, let not thy hands be slack. If you are premillennial, if you are pre-tribulational, by default you are a Zionist. And if you're not a Zionist, then perhaps you're not premillennial. Perhaps you're not pre-tribulational. Perhaps you're not saved. But if you are a Bible believer, if you are premillennial, if you are pre-tribulational, by default, according to the scripture, you are a Zionist. People say, but so the Jews are in unbelief, yes. And people say, but most of the Jewish leaders are Freemasons, yes. Many have been, and I'll speak about the uh, Jewish leaders shortly. But again, it makes no difference. They could be the worst group of people on the face of the earth, and yet they are loved, their fathers are loved, and their land has been declared holy because of Jehovah's sake. 17. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save, he will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love, he will joy over thee with singing. The Lord thy God, Jehovah God, concerning Jesus Christ, in the midst of thee is mighty, El Gabor, the mighty God. This is a great picture of reconciliation. This is a great picture of Jehovah being reconciled to the children of Israel in the tribulation, those that have turned back to him in faith. It's fair to say that during the tribulation, most of Israel will not receive the Messiah. Most of Israel will do a deal with the Antichrist. And most of Israel, along with the uh, Gentiles, will take the mark of the beast and go on to be destroyed. But there will be faithful Jews that don't do so, and faithful Gentiles that also don't do so and go on to get saved. He, Jehovah, will rejoice over thee with joy. He rests in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. Why would you pass this up? If you're not saved, why would you pass this up? Here's a little statistic for you. If you're not saved, by the age of 18 years of age, there's a 93% chance that you will never get saved. Now, by the grace of God, Patrick and I are in that 7% category that got saved after we were 18. But if you're not saved by the age of 18, there's a 93% chance that you will never get saved. And that's what the devil wants. He wants to push secularism. He wants to push uh, Islam and evolution and Judaism and Catholicism and religion in place of a relationship with Almighty God. And that's why I will, on the one hand, speak in defense of Israel and the Jews and at the same time critique Judaism. Also, keep Hosea, uh, Hosea in mind. No priest, no temple, no sacrifice, no king. Today's Judaism is not biblical Judaism. Today's Judaism is just as corrupt as Catholicism. It's a works-based system. It's like Babel. They are trying to reach heaven their own way 
and it can't be done. And that's why it's important for those of us which are pre-millennial, pre-tribulational, to speak out to the Jews in love and tell them that if they don't repent, they are lost. And we can do it because we love Israel. Like I said at the beginning of this message, we have a right to say what we say. No one else loves Israel like the church. And when I say the church, I mean born-again, Bible-believing Christians. Pre-tribulational, pre-millennial. Go to Zechariah. Zechariah. Excuse me for sniffing. Zechariah chapter 12. The statement was made two weeks ago now that America was going to perhaps move their embassy and the president's son-in-law was perhaps going to do a deal, make peace in the Middle East, like Tony Blair was uh, hoping to do back in uh, 2008. Around that time, there was a man called Ariel Sharon, some of you may remember him, an Israeli prime minister, and he wanted to do a deal with the Palestinians. And around that time, George Bush was in office, a so-called Christian, and the pressure that was put on Israel was immense. You will do a deal. You will go to the negotiating table. You will make peace in the Middle East if it kills you. And Sharon, this larger-than-life character, very much a hero in Israel, started to do a deal with the Palestinians. Some of you may remember that. Around that time, he suffered a stroke. And for the rest of his life, he would find himself in a hospital bed. Now, do you remember that? And you say, what is James's point? My point is this. He went against the land. As a Jew, he went against the land. As a Jew, he took the sides of the Gentiles. And the Lord says from his word that he's no respecter of persons. And because Sharon was hoping, was prepared to do a deal with the Gentiles, I believe the Lord stepped in and caused that man to have a stroke. And he died, what, two years ago? Now the wind is really picking up, so hopefully you can still hear me, but I will continue on. I've nearly finished. Go back to 1992, 1993. There was a man called Rabin, uh, or Rabin, excuse me, Prime Minister Rabin. And he was an Orthodox leader, a religious leader, an unsaved leader, of course, but he was an Orthodox leader. And uh, he also was trying to do a deal with uh, Arafat around that time. And it looked from the outside that a deal was about to take place. And this guy came out of nowhere, found Rabin in Tel Aviv, and I've been to the spot, and shot him dead. And you say, why? Because he was going to do a deal with the Gentiles. If you mess around with Israel, if you mess around with Jerusalem, this is what you can expect to occur. There was a prime minister, maybe six, seven, eight years ago, called uh, Ormit, Prime Minister Ormit. I think I got the pronunciation right. 
And he also was hoping to do a deal with the Gentiles. And around that time, he was diagnosed with cancer. So you've got Rabin, Sharon, Ormit, all within around, what, 10, 15 years, getting too close to the Gentile nations, like the Muslims, like Britain and America, and Jehovah said, I'm not having it. That land belongs to Israel. That land belongs to the Jews. I won't allow anyone to take that land. And at the moment, you have a very conservative, quite savvy, Israeli Prime Minister who knows a bit about the book. Not saved, of course, and as far as I can tell, is a Freemason from my own research. But Benjamin, to his credit, knows more about the Bible than his predecessors. And he has withstood all of the uh, hostility and the pressure from Britain and America to give the land to the Muslims. But look at, look at the Middle East. They've got thousands of square miles. They've got Saudi Arabia, they've got Kuwait, Bahrain, Iraq, Iran. What more do they want? Of course, you know what they want. They want Jerusalem. They want to put the Jews into the sea. It will never happen. Zechariah 12. Zechariah 12. Look at verse 3, please. And in that day, will I make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people. All that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces. Though all the people of the earth be gathered against it, will be gathered together against it. Now you've seen it, haven't you? Three Israeli prime ministers. Cancer, a stroke, and an assassination. But doctrinally, this is very much in reference to the tribulation. In that day, saith the Lord, I will smite every horse with astonishment, and his rider with madness. And I'll open mine eyes upon the house of Judah, and will smite every horse of the people with blindness. During the tribulation, it appears that some kind of nuclear fallout takes place. And as a result, it's back to the cavalry. It's back to people on horses. Go to chapter 14 and I will close. Chapter 14, uh, look at verse 12, please. And this shall be the plague wherewith the Lord will smite all the people that have fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall consume away while they stand upon their feet, and their eyes shall consume away in their holes, and their tongue shall consume away in their mouth. Some kind of nuclear fallout. Your eyes are going to be consumed. Your tongue will also be consumed away in your mouth. Your eyes are going to fall out, and as a result, it's back to primitive warfare. It's like a throwback to how it used to be. You see, as far as the Lord is concerned, in his mind, nothing much has happened. It's like, uh, for us, 2,000 years have been and gone, and we, the Gentile nations, or the Gentile people, are very much uh, in a league of our own. I guess it's fair to say, you know, we've got satellite television, we've got uh, 
the internet, we've got smartphones, man on the moon, all that kind of stuff. But in the mind of the Lord, that makes no difference. Because for him, his love is for Israel. And therefore, once a church has been raptured, it's going to be a throwback to how it used to be before the church ever arrived and before the Jews ever rejected their Messiah. So I think for today, and I appreciate you all bearing with me, it's incredibly cold and quite windy. And I can hear a helicopter flying behind me. I can't see it, but I can hear it. What you've had today is a crash course concerning Bible prophecy, concerning Israel, concerning people who think they have the right to mess around with Israel. And Almighty God himself will need no help from anyone when it comes to defending Israel. And at the same time, whether Jew or Gentile, if they start to mess around with Israel, according to what I've already shown you over the last little while, Almighty God will take care of such people. That's why it's imperative to pray for Israel. That's why it's imperative to make sure that you're on the right side. I'm sure Sharon thought he was on the right side, and yet he was struck down with a stroke. Would find himself unconscious, in a coma, for eight years, until he died two years ago. And I'm sure that uh, Mr. Rabin, from the 1990s, thought he was on the right side of the Lord. In fact, let me just correct myself, he wasn't orthodox. The man that shot him was an orthodox Jew. Rabin was a liberal Jew. But nevertheless, I think he would have thought of himself as being a good Jew. And he would have thought of himself as doing something for the Lord. And the Lord said, no, I don't want you giving that land to anyone. And he would find himself being shot dead. And as I say, Omit, the uh, Prime Minister before Perez and uh, uh, Yetanahu would find himself being diagnosed with cancer. On top of that, I seem to recall, he's also in trouble with the law uh, concerning some kind of fraudulent issues. The point is this. Yes, the Jews are in unbelief. Yes, the Jews, for the most part, are just as wicked as the Gentiles. And yes, the Jews are going to go to hell with the Gentiles if they don't repent. Absolutely. Let's not uh, sugarcoat it. Let's call it like it is. And yet, in spite of all that, in spite of what they've said and done, in spite of what they've suffered over the last 2,000 years, they are still beloved. And that's why if you ever study history, if you study the Third Reich or the Soviet Union, or even if you look at the news today, you see that there is still much anti-Semitism. There are parts of the UK where the Jews are fearful to go. A lot of Jews in France over the last uh, 18 months have uh, left to go to Israel. They don't feel safe in Europe. And it's probably fair to say that there are many people in America, many Jews in America, who also are feeling somewhat insecure, not overly sure about what is awaiting them and why things are going the way that they are going. We are living, no doubt about it, in interesting times. And yet at the same time, when I look around me and I hear all these politicians calling for this and calling for that, and saying how they believe in the people. Well, here's a little thought for you. If you are a British politician, or an American politician, or a Canadian politician, and those three countries have been pretty critical of Israel over the years, 
and they passed resolutions against Israel, and they speak about being for the people. Well, here's a little thought for you. Why don't you start tithing some of your salaries to the people, like downtown Manchester, or the East End of London, or the Bronx in uh, New York, or parts of Toronto in Canada? All this talk about standing with the people and uh, showing solidarity. Well, tithe 20% of your annual uh, income to such places, or how about moving downtown with the people? These politicians are very much part of the problem. These politicians are deceiving themselves and deceiving their followers. And these politicians are Marxist. These politicians are atheist. And these politicians hate Israel, the church, and Almighty God. And that's why for those of us which are saved, we can see Israel not only as an underdog, but we can see Israel to some extent, going through the sort of attacks that we go through as Bible believers. Any kind of conservative voice in the West, especially in Britain, is stamped out, absolutely annihilated. And yet, if you put these people on the spot, these politicians, these liberals, even some of these church people, and put the case to them that they are hypocrites, that they have no interest, really, in what they stand for or what they believe. They are simply going through the, uh, the emotions. Then you will be able to see that they are just as lost as you are before you were saved and as I was before I got saved. But I started with Hosea, and I'll just very quickly go back to Hosea and make the case one final time. How the children of Israel, Hosea 3 verse 4, shall abide many days, many years, many centuries, two millenniums without a king. No king since, uh, well, let's see now. You have uh, Jehoshaphat, Zedekiah, and some other kings going into uh, Babylon. No prince. No sacrifice, no image, no ephod, no teraphim. But afterward shall the children of Israel return and seek the Lord their God. So there's hope for Israel and David their king, Messiah. And shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. But between this prediction and the fulfillment of this prediction coming to pass, the Jews are going to wonder the wandering Jew. And that's why, if you can witness to a Jew, if you can speak to a Jew about Jehovah, about Jesus, you should do so. And if you can't do that, pray for such people. Pray for Israel. Pray for the Jews to receive Jesus as their Messiah, their King. Because without him, they are just as lost as the Gentile nations. And on that thought, I will sign out and wish you every blessing and happiness in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.